Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. Today we talk about a famous verse of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, the old things have passed away, and the new things have come. And this uh, program today, we're going to just ask, what does that verse mean? <laughs> because as a Christian, I still sin, I still get depressed, I can still get anxious, and what do you mean the old things have passed away and I'm a new creature? Well, I don't know if you can see it, but right up here, see that little red spot right there? Um, I'm going into the doctor tomorrow for the Mohs procedure because that's skin cancer. And I've had this on my nose and what he does is he takes a chunk out, he puts it under the microscope and if he got it all I go home. But if not, he takes chunk two out and puts it under the microphone. For the nose, I don't know, I had to sit there for six removals. You got to wait like an hour in between. Finally he gives all the cancer and you can go home. My point is, skin cancer is a process. Removing our sin is a process, it's a lifelong process that doesn't get done till we're in heaven. Then we're perfect. So let's ask the question, what does it mean when we say we are new creatures in Christ, the old has passed away? Well, would you take out your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is writing about 55 AD to the Christians in Corinth, which is modern-day Greece, and he's going to answer some important questions. Here's our, here's our sermon. As a new creature, number one, what controls you? Number two, why do you live as a new creature now? Number three, how do you view things? Number four, who are you? Number five, what is your job as a new creature? And number six, what is our message as new creatures? So open your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5. Let's pray and begin. Father, we thank you for the Bible. Without it, we would be lost. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would just make it clear to us what it means when it says we are now new creatures in Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Question number one, what controls you now as a new creature? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, would you look at verse 14. Paul the Apostle writes, For the love of Christ controls us. Now that phrase might mean two different things. It might mean my love for Christ controls me, or it might mean Christ's love for me controls me. Most scholars think it's the second one because that's what Paul means when he uses it elsewhere in his epistles. And because my love for Christ is not that excitable, <laughs> Christ's love for me is always something I can get excited about and which can control my life. <clears throat> I remember many years ago, an old Lutheran pastor I, I knew had everybody in church sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Then he stopped him and he said, you know what we should really sing? 
Oh, how I want to love Jesus. Oh, how I want to love Jesus. And he said, because our love for Christ isn't that strong and great, but his love for me is. And I mean, think of it. What would you rather sing? Oh, how I love Jesus or... Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. I think what controls us as Christians is not our great love for Christ, which is definitely part of the Christian life. What controls us, though, what gets to us, is his love for us. You've probably heard of St. Augustine. St. Augustine lived in the 400s. He lived in northern Africa, and he didn't start out as a saint. But then came the day when Augustine, his illegitimate son, and his friend Olypius were baptized in the cathedral of Milan, Italy. And here's what Augustine wrote of his baptismal day. We were baptized and all anxiety as to our past life fled away. The days were not long enough as I meditated and found wonderful delight in meditating upon the depth of your design, Lord, for the salvation of the human race. I wept at the beauty of your hymns. I was powerfully moved at the sweet sound of your church's singing. Tears ran from my eyes and I was happy in them. Christ's love for Augustine is what got to Augustine, got him baptized and made him one of the greatest teachers in the history of the church. I have known a woman named Carol since I've been 12 years old. We've been great friends since we were 12. During college, I would share Christ with her and it never seemed to go anywhere. And through the years we talk uh, she, long distance, she lives in Florida. But then I got a phone call and she said, Tom, I've become a Christian. I love my church. I love reading the Bible. There was just, and, her talk about how God's love is changing her, the thrill in her voice. And I said, Carol, you're reminding me of what I was like in college when all of this was new for me. And I said, I need to get that back. And it's Christ's love for us that controls us. So let me ask you the question, who controls you? Does the almighty dollar control your life? Does lust control your life? Does what people think of you control your life? Paul is saying, no, Christian, put that aside. Meditate on how much he loves you. Let that control your life. Next question. Why do you live as a new creature? Look at verse 15. Christ died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So here's the next question. Why do you live? The answer is for him. So let me ask you, are you living for him? I think that's a hard question to answer. If you were to ask me, Tom, are you living for Christ? I would say, I want to, uh, to a degree I do, but is everything I do in life centered in on what he wants for me? No. <laughs> and that's why I think being a Christian is a battle. Um, you have to battle your evil human nature you got from Adam and Eve. And, and Billy Graham said, the Christian life is a battle and most of the battle is with yourself. You know, here was a liberal pastor who said, I don't believe in a literal devil. And somebody after church said, try fighting the devil for a change. You'll find out if he's there. 
And I would say the same thing with, with being a new creature. If you think you're a basically good person, you're not selfish, try putting Christ first in your life and see what a battle you have on your hands. <laughs> so who do you live for? You live for Christ, but that's a battle. Next question. How do you view things now as a new creature? Look at verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, we now yet know him thus no longer. Uh, literally there, when it says according to the flesh, it means not from a human point of view. So how do we see things now in life? Not from the flesh, not from a human point of view. Before Paul was converted, he saw everything through flesh-colored glasses from his evil human nature. And Jesus is just a man. And I'm Jewish and we're so much better than the Gentiles. And I'm a basically good person. Then Paul gets converted on the road to Damascus and he puts on God-colored glasses. And Jesus is the Christ. He's the Savior. Uh, Jew and Gentile, they're all equal because we're all sinners. We need Christ to be saved. Everything changed when Paul got converted. He saw everything differently. My question for you is, do you see things differently now than you used to? And I'll tell you what I thought of. <laughs> I was in college in the 1970s. My first year of college, I was messed up, let's put it that way. And I remember abortion was becoming legal. And one of my friends in college says, well, Tom, you're a Christian. Do you think abortion is wrong? And I said, well, who knows when the soul comes into the baby? So oh, maybe it's okay. And then my roommate, Scott, had a girlfriend, Beth, and they were sexually active. And they said to me one day, well, Tom, do you think we're sinning? You know, you're a Christian. Do you think we're sinning because we're having sex before we're married? And I said, well, you're planning on getting married. Maybe it's okay. And, and I was in a Bible study my first year of college. And everybody in my Bible study believed in hell. And I would say, but I don't know that a loving God would send anybody to hell. Well, then God grabbed a hold of me in college. Today, I know there's a hell, because the Bible says so. I know there, that abortion is wrong, premarital sex is wrong, because I'm not seeing things through flesh-colored glasses anymore. I'm seeing things through God-colored glasses. I remember having, I transferred to a different college. I, I, I called Scott and Beth long distance two years later and I said, you remember when I told you that sex outside of marriage is maybe okay? It isn't. Please forgive me for leading you astray. My question is, are you seeing things differently now than you used to? All right, let us look now at the next verse and ask the question, who are you? Look at verse four, uh, verse 17. The, the famous verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. So the question is, who are you? The answer is, you are a new creation. Some people think God stopped making things at the end of the sixth day of creation. Not according to this verse. Anytime a person comes to Christ, he recreate, God recreates you. God is still creating things. <laughs> For instance, I make pottery as a hobby. And so here I'll take a lump of clay and I'll create something on the potter's wheel. 
Not infrequently, the thing will fall over and become a mistake and I'll have to get rid of it. I don't throw the clay away. I put it in my slop bucket and you put it in the slop bucket, uh, you put some water on it, you re-wedge the clay, you put another ball of clay, the same thing that was a mistake, on the wheel and you can come out with a beautiful piece of pottery. Here's a piece I made, and I can't remember if I made this from a mistake or not, but that's what God does. When you come to Christ, He recreates you. You started out as a mess, so did I. It's called original sin. But God takes you, and in Christ, He makes you a brand new creature. Now, the question we need to ask about all this is, though, uh, I am a new creature. <laughs> Why do I still sin then after conversion? And why do I still get depressed and anxious? And why am I still such a mess of the old things have passed away? Well, have they really? I think the best way to answer that question is what the reformers called simul justus et peccator, which is Latin for simultaneously saint and sinner. And as Martin Luther and John Calvin meditated on these things, they, they came up with this and they said, when you come to Christ, from that day on, you're a new creature, you're a saint, you're perfect in God's sight, all your sins are forgiven, so you're a saint, but you're also still a sinner, and you will be till the day you die. Christians have two natures, the saint nature and the sinner nature, and they duke it out until you're in heaven. Now, I, I like the saying, I'm not what I should be, I'm not what I will be, but thank God, I'm not the slop bucket. I'm not what I was. Uh, just two nights ago, I was having dinner with some friends, and we were talking about simul justus et peccator. And, and my Christian friend said, yeah, but our new being a new creature, being a saint, that's the main identity of the Christian now, isn't it? And I said, well, ultimately it is, and for eternity it is. But the same Paul who wrote we are new creatures in Christ, wrote Romans 7, where he said, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from the body of this death? So both are true. I'm a saint and I'm a sinner till the day I die. Next question. As a new creature, what is your job? Listen carefully to verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So what is your job now as a new creature? We are ambassadors for Christ. Your job is to diplomatically beg people to come to Christ. You know why a lot of people don't go to church? Well, pastor, if I go to church, the roof will fall in because God is holding my sins against me. And, and we got to point them to this verse and say, God is not holding your sins against you if you come to Christ because Christ took your punishment so you could be saved. And we are, our life is to be urging people to come to Christ. We are ambassadors. I mean, Carol, who I just told you about, she leads women in Bible study. She loves it. She's an ambassador for Christ now. When I think of what Carol used to be, um, she's a miracle. God is using her as an ambassador. 
So, one last question. As ambassadors for Christ, what's our message? What do we tell people? What do you tell your family so they can be saved? Look at verse 21. God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what do you tell people so they can become Christians? Uh, Here's the message. Jesus' death makes us righteous. That is, on the cross, he took all of my sins and paid for my sins, even though he was perfect. He paid the sinner's debt for us. And then he gave me all of his righteousness. So now when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's our message. Back to Augustine. About 400 AD, Augustine's mother, Monica, was a Christian. But Augustine's father was a pagan. Augustine was a pagan. Augustine was a young man and sexually promiscuous. Monica was an ambassador for Christ, urging her husband and her son to come to Christ. Augustine was not interested, but his mother's prayers started to get to him. And he eventually prayed his famous prayer, Lord, make me a Christian, but not yet. (laughs) Finally, the day of his conversion came, and here's what Augustine wrote. It was as if I could hear these words, Stop listening to your flesh. It tells you of delights, but not of such delights as the law of the Lord your God tells. This was the controversy raging in my heart, a controversy about myself against myself. And Olypius, my friend, stayed by my side and saw such agitation as he had never seen in me. A mighty storm arose in me, bringing a mighty rain of tears. I rose from Olypius, for it struck me that solitude was more suited to crying uh, than being with him. I went far from him and flung myself down under a certain fig tree, and tears poured forth from my eyes in a flood. And then while he's crying in the garden, he hears on the other side of the wall these children singing, Take and read, take and read. And he writes this, I ceased weeping and immediately began to search my mind most carefully as to whether children were accustomed to chant these words in any kind of game, and I could not remember that I had ever heard such a thing, I arose, interpreting the incident as quite certainly a divine command to open my book of scripture and read, which happened to be in the garden. I opened it and read the passage upon which my eyes first fell, Romans 13, not in rioting and drunkenness, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. In that instant, with the very ending of the verse, it was as though a light shone in my heart and all the darkness of uncertainty vanished away. Olypius and I went into my mother and told her, to her great joy, you, Lord, changed her mourning into joy. And then Augustine talks about the day his mother died. Listen carefully to this. My mother, Monica, used all her effort to win her husband to you, Lord, preaching to you, to to him of your love uh, and by her character, which you made her beautiful to her husband. She bore his acts of unfaithfulness quietly and never had any jealous scene with her husband about them. She awaited your mercy upon him, Lord, that he might grow chaste through faith in you. The upshot was that toward the very end of his life, she won her husband to you. And once he was a Christian, she no longer had to complain of the things she had to bear with before he was a Christian. 
When the day was approaching on which my mother was to depart this life, a day that you knew, Lord, though we did not, it came about, as I believe by your secret arrangement, that she and I stood alone leaning in a window. There we were discussing what the eternal life of the saints could be like. On that day, the world with all its delights seemed cheap to us in comparison. And my mother said, Son, for my own part, I no longer find joy in anything in this world. What I am still to do here and why I am here, I know not. One thing there was for which I desired to remain a little while longer in this life, and that was that I should see you become a Catholic and a Christian before I died. This God granted me. What then am I doing here? And so in the 56th year of her life and the 33rd year of mine, that devout and holy soul was released from the body, and she died of a fever. Monica was an ambassador for Christ to her son, to her husband. I got a phone call. Pastor Brock, you know, my husband is dying. I can let him go. I can accept his death. But I'm heartbroken because I don't know where he is with Christ. I've shared the gospel with him. But I, and I, and I said to her, your heart is in the right place. You've got a Monica heart for your husband. Um, I've shared this on the show before, but... Let me share this again. Two wives, two Monicas, wife number one. I got a phone call at the church office, and this woman of the church says, Pastor Tom, my atheist husband is dying. Would you please come to the house? Went over to her house. Here he was on a hospital bed in the middle of the living room. And I, went, I pulled a chair up, and Mr. So-and-so, it sounds like you might not live very long. And can I just explain to you how to know for sure your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven when you die? And I explained Christ lived the perfect life we couldn't. He could go to the cross to pay for our sins. He rose from the dead. If you believe in him, you'll go to heaven when you die. And, and I said to him, Mr. So-and-so, would you like to pray and receive Christ? And he looked at me with some anger and he said, no. And I will never forget this. I watched his wife get on her knees next to the bed, hold his hands, and she begged him to come to Christ. And he said, no, and died. It was an awful scene. But she was a Monica. She was trying to be an ambassador for Christ. Let me tell you about uh, wife number two. <laughs> I was in the church office. The phone rang. Pastor Brock, you don't know me, uh, but my husband and I watch your TV show, and my husband is not a believer, but he likes you, and he's dying. Would you, would you be open to coming and visiting him? He said you can come if, if, if you want to come. And I said, well, let, let me get back to you. I, put the, I, I hung up and I prayed. And I can't go all over the Twin Cities, all the people seeing the show. I said, Lord, do I do this? And it was like the Lord said, go. And I picked up the phone and well, I, I'm, I'm coming. Turned out they live two blocks from my church. So I walked in the house and here's a man sitting up kind of crippled in a wheelchair, kind of an ordinary guy, older guy. And he said, well, I don't know if I believe in the Trinity. And I said, well, the Bible teaches there's one God and three eternal persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes, we should believe in the Trinity. And I sat down next to him and I took out a little salvation uh, booklet and I said, you know, Mr. So-and-so, it sounds like you might not live long. Can I just show you how to make sure your sins are forgiven and you'll have a great eternity? And the wife is, is sitting next to me and I can hear her praying under her voice. She's been praying for this guy for 50 years. 
and I read through the pamphlet and, and I said to him, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he said, you know, I would. <laughs> and the wife starts going nuts. I mean, it was, and, and we prayed, he accepted Christ. And if I remember right, within two days, he was dead. My point is, both of these women, whether you succeed or don't succeed, we are all to be ambassadors for Christ. That's why God has left us on earth. I, I got a phone call. Uh, Pastor Brock, we're having a, relig uh, a political breakfast at this. Would you come open, do the opening prayer? I said, sure, I'll be an ambassador for Christ, I'm thinking. Oh, and by the way, the main speaker is Jewish, so when you say your prayer, just please don't say, in Jesus' name. <laughs> I said, that's the only way I pray. And I said, if I can't pray in Jesus' name, you really want to find a different pastor. And she said, well, let me, get, let me talk to the committee. I'll call you right back. <laughs> so she called me back. Okay, you can pray in Jesus' name. But you know my thought? If I can't pray in Jesus' name, why go? I'm not an ambassador for a generic God. I'm an ambassador for Christ. So, so let's review all this. We are new creatures in Christ. What does that mean? It means that the love of Christ controls us. It means that we're living for him. It means that we see things through God's perspective, not our own anymore. It means that I'm a new creature in Christ. That won't be complete, though, till I'm in heaven. It means that my job is to be an ambassador for Christ, and our message is that it's only through Christ's death that we can be made righteous. That's the sermon, and we're going to turn this over now for Jackie to close the show. Well, everybody, Jackie, our Bible question lady, has been under poor health. But look, she's back. How are you doing, Jackie? I'm doing so much better, Tom. Thank you so much for all the thoughts and prayers of all the people that watch this show. Yeah. It certainly has meant a lot to me, and I know I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those prayers. I'm so glad you're doing better. Jackie, we only got a little bit of time, but what's the main thing the Lord told you going through this health crisis? What's the main thing you learned? I think I learned to have patience for one thing because it's not easy for me to give up doing the things uh, I like to do. Yeah. And I certainly was taught that being on your back, you can look up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So I, I, I want to thank, I, we, we've missed Jackie because she's been going through this health problem, but she's doing much better. And thanks for all your prayers. And uh, we want to just uh, thank you for praying for this ministry, for Jackie, and we would pray that uh, God will give you a great week. Go to pastorstudy.org if you want to see all of our TV shows for free, and we'll see you next time at The Pastor's Study. Thank you for watching The Pastor's Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, 
or mail a check to the pastor's study. P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.